Happy New Year from the Gay BC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mac, North America's favorite bi-coastal and totally queer talk fest is now underway with these two motor mouths. Hello, and welcome to the Happy Hour. Hello. Uh, Hope you're having a wonderful uh, day and evening so far. And uh, we have a jam-packed docket of things to talk about this week. How are you doing, Johnny? I'm good, thank you. And Richie, I will say it doesn't matter what time of day it is or even what day it is. We're just happy to have you listening to us. And we know that there are people in time zones all around this big blue rock that's flying through outer space. Well, not flying through, but flying in. And uh, we're glad to hang out with you each and every Thursday evening, our time. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I know that we were talking earlier. We, we may even have a listener in from Edinburgh at the moment. Uh, and uh, if so, hello to that friend. Uh, but yeah, welcome to everyone who's listening live and to those who are listening uh, at another time of day, night, or otherwise. I used to work um, for a I company. Will start that, um, what was that? I used to work for a company that had its European headquarters in Edinburgh. And um, I never realized until the particular person you're referring to who might be listening, and we hope is listening tonight, I never realized how off their pronunciation of some vowels is. It's funny to listen to people who all speak the English language who have different pronunciations in, in their dialects. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there. I actually I took a class in college called Dialects of English um, that was all about um, about the different dialects, not only internationally, but even regionally in the U.S. And um, it's probably my favorite class um, in in uh, school. This so we would have... Um, Did you study the dialect the of Florida? The dialect of Florida. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we did, but um, we... Uh, Florida, oh, boy. So this first segment of this week um, is sort of dedicated to the beautiful state or not the beautiful state of Florida. Um, and... Before we get into it, just want to quickly say that this is a call-in show, and uh, if you want to call in tonight, our number is 760-677-0111, and if you call in, we will get you on and uh, hear what you have to say about uh, what we're talking about. We should also mention, Richie, that um, mm -hmm. because this is an international broadcast, because it happens via the World Wide Web, that... um, Mm -hmm. If you're somewhere and don't usually call the U.S., just add a plus one on the front of that. Uh, it's country code one. I yep. think I think that's yep. where those crazy football fans got that stupid idea to always do that chanting in the stands. We're number one. We're number one. That they're just adding a country code. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So if you want to call so, us one plus seven six zero plus. Uh, Six seven seven zero one one one. Sorry. Exactly. Yes. But yeah. So um, I think you were you were sort of trying to uh, segue us into the the first segment, which is we have a, a number of of stories um, from the not so great state of Florida that is just 
doubling, tripling, and quadrupling down on anti-LGBTQ laws um, and practices and just the whole the whole kit and caboodle. I mean, at this point, if you live there, look to move. If you're thinking of going down there, don't bother. It's just awful. So the story I'm going to start with is actually the – I had sort of laid them out in a certain order, but I'm going to start with one because it just sort of encapsulates exactly how stupid things are. A Florida school district is currently banning dictionaries under DeSantis's book ban law. And um, this is real. This is really happening. Um, the Escambia School District has removed over 2,800 books from library shelves as they undergo a process to determine if they are appropriate or not for students to be reading. Among the books that are currently off the shelf are the American Heritage Children's Dictionary, the Webster's Dictionary for Students, and the Merriam-Webster's Elementary Dictionary. We're not kidding here. This is a this is a school district that is so in the tank for this kind of you know uh, ridiculous fascist bullshit that they are taking dictionaries off the shelves because they might have you know the word gay in them. And you know I am I was also brought to tears in thinking today, and that was not tears of joy um, in thinking about the fact that a lot of this is at the hands of one person. One person, 2,800 books pulled off the shelves until they can be reviewed. So far, they've made it through 67 of those books. 67 out of 2,800. How long will it take for the rest of them? And not only that, but the fact that almost all of the objections have been written by one instructor who has her head up her ass. One person. So when people tell me that, oh, my vote doesn't matter, you know, one vote doesn't make a difference. It absolutely does because we need to keep people like this away from making decisions about what all of us have access to in a country that supposedly has free speech. Well, because what it is is that there's this one this one crazed woman who basically has made it a campaign, you know, this kind of Moms for Liberty campaign to protest every book in the library and say these books aren't good for kids. I mean, I think she doesn't even believe in reading, frankly. But, um, you know, what, what but what we have is because of the laws in Florida is that the, either the school district is, you know, the people, the administrators are – are uh, sort of amenable to this type of, you know, censorship and sort of fascistic, you know, behavior, or they're so scared because of the legal and, you know, sort of, um, you know, the legal climate in Florida because of all these bans, book ban bills and other things that they feel like they don't have any cover to say no. Because the thing is, what could happen is there could be a parent this happens in other places in the country a parent who says well i don't think that you know x book should be on that to kill a mockingbird should be on the shelves because that book is not american and the and the librarians say well fuck you very much actually but okay good for you we're going to keep the book on the shelf but because of all of these laws and because of where things are in florida you do you have administrators who are totally willing to just basically yank the entire library out from under school children. Uh, it's really, it's really gross. And, 
you know, and, and like you said, Johnny, it does kind of uh, make the point that uh, that the voices do matter. And, you know, and if one person can can make 2,800 books disappear, you would like to hope that hundreds and thousands of other voices calling into a Scambria school district and saying these that it's ridiculous to pull these books from the shelves might actually move the needle in the other direction. So I don't know. It's, it's a good point to make that um, it's important to be full-throated right now in your support of things like freedom of access to, to, you know, reading materials. Absolutely. Um, so that was one little, just one little story out of Florida, out of many, many possible stories to do. Another one, and this one's actually far more nefarious. I mean, this is a nefarious thing, and this is all, you know, the the we talked, you know, the other week about how last year was a, you know, kind of a high water mark for anti-LGBTQ leg- legislation in states, and. 2024 showing no signs of abatement whatsoever. Probably, if anything, acceleration. Of course, because it's an election year. Right. And so we have a Florida state senator um, has introduced a bill that would redefine um, an allegation against a plaintiff that they have discriminated against someone because of their race, sex, sexual orientation, or gender identity as, quote, defamation per se. Now, that's a lot of words. What that essentially means is if you tell – if you say in public, so-and-so um, used my dead name, they're a transphobe, that person can turn around and sue you for defamation and uh, with damages of up to $35,000 for that lawsuit. Um, so defamation per se means is if you say something, it is defamation. And so if you say – so-and-so discriminated against me because I'm black or because I'm gay or because I'm trans, that person can immediately turn around and sue you. And one of the things in this law is that a defendant uh, cannot prove the truth of an allegation of discrimination with respect to sexual orientation or gender identity by citing a plaintiff's constitutionally protected religious expression or beliefs. Or by citing a plaintiff's scientific beliefs. So what that means is, if someone says, I'm a Christian, and I don't believe that trans people exist, so, you know, you person, I'm going to call you by your dead name, and, uh, you know, I'm going to refer to you by the wrong pronouns, and if you say, well, that person's a transphobe, they can sue you, and they can hide behind their, you know, their shield of their Christian beliefs, so that you can't have the the you know, you can't uh, have the uh, argument that they are, you know, that, that you know that they were basically they can hide behind their sort of Christian beliefs, uh, and the defendant can't cite that uh, that statement as proof of their defamation. I so, know that you're not finished, and that you've even got more horrific stuff to talk about. But I have to tell you that when I read this, I was like, okay, finally. I live now on Earth 2. Yeah. I mean, this is... In what universe? It's... It's it's lunacy. I mean, it, what it is, is it's basically, you know, entering into uh, and I, a place where, you know, we talk about freedom of speech, but where 
Uh, and this is a thing, you know, th- that there's they're kind of using both sides of this. It's a very funny thing because actually, um, you know, uh, Trump was uh, really tr- was really talked a lot about trying to make libel laws different so that you could bring. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, actually, no, it's similar. Bring libel suits more easily. Um, and this is the same thing is that basically this attempt to chill speech, you know, uh, speech you don't like that is now kind of the vibe on the Republican side is that, um, you know, that we can sort of call certain things. We can just round them up to defamation. And and so basically I want to make sure that you don't negate the fact that another key element of this is that reporters cannot hide behind the long ascribed uh, tool of being able to print something with an unnamed source. Mm-hmm. And that people who are actually reporting on these kinds of things can be held just as responsible um, and sued because they are publishing something that happened maybe to you to, to draw attention to this. And, I mean, this is just the most chilling thing I think that I have read in years. It's disgusting. And and, and it goes to a, a trend in, again, in Florida of um, that particular piece of it, um, of absolutely trying to undermine the freedom of the press. Because another thing that, um, that they, I think they, I think they might've even gotten it through the legislature there um, was basically not, allowing the uh, certain travel records of government officials to be fo- uh, requested by freedom of information requests. Because what was happening was basically DeSantis was flying all over the place, you know, campaigning and, you know, going on all kinds of larks. And all of that information was freely, re- you know, uh, requestable by freedom of information law requests. He sort of made this, you know, this sort of bogeyman idea that it was it was uh, a you know a security risk, and I think they did ram through a bill that those records are no longer uh, subject to freedom of information law requests. Bull crap. So yeah, again, Florida, um, land of sunshine, and also just uh, you know fascistic reign of terror. So. Yeah, exactly. Also, there was another piece of legislation that is equally scary for people in our community. Yes. So this this bill, this Florida bill, proposed bill, makes the act of lewd or lascivious grooming a second-degree felony published, uh, punishable by up to 15 years in prison. So you might ask, well, what is lewd or lascivious grooming? Obviously, that's the question that it, you know that comes up, and the the definition is surprisingly or unsurprisingly enough vague, and and really given the climate in Florida, uh, just extremely just sort of homophobic on its face. So the definition is a person who engages in the process of preparing or encouraging a child to engage in sexual activity through overtly sexually themed communication with the child or in conduct with or observed by the child without permission from the child's parent or legal guardian commits lewd or lascivious grooming. Let me take and what a, this, what, what I'm sorry. That? No, go ahead. Sorry. 
And so what what this because of, you know, the things that have happened in this country over the past year or so, what that means in practice is things like a drag show. Frankly, things like a pride parade. You know, if a pride parade is observed by a child without permission from the child's parent or legal guardian, you could argue, they would argue, that that is, quote, encouraging a child to engage in sexual activity because they see all gay existence as encouraging children to engage in sexual activity. Let me take another shot at it. uh Just you and your significant other walking down the street holding hands and you're of the same gender. That's it. Not kissing, not making it out. Not, you know, getting a BJ up against the wall in a dark alley. Just walking down the street, two guys or two gals holding hands. Right. Because, because in, in, in the eyes of, pe- of, the, of the people who, who put these kind of bills out there and who are kind of observing the world, they see overt expressions of homosexuality as being essentially sexually themed communication. And that is, you know, yeah, so that's where we're at in Florida. Just like you started the segment off with, I am so tired of hearing people who are in our community defending their decisions to move to Florida. And I get it for people who grew up there and who, you know, can't just suddenly pick up and leave. Uh, That's easier said than done. But I don't care that Fort Lauderdale or Wilton Manors or South Beach in Miami or Orlando are filled with gay people. That state is no different than Nazi Germany now. Stay with us. We've got a lot more of the happy hour to come. We're going to talk next about Taylor Swift. Is she a PSYOPs person for the United (laughs) States government? (laughs) You're listening to the happy hour with your hosts, Richie Roy and Johnny Mack. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the happy hour. Um, and uh, yeah, so we figured after that particularly kind of grim segment about the state of Florida, literally the state of Florida and the state of Florida, that we would go to something a little bit funnier. I mean, still kind of like yikes, but uh, so this story is a, is kind of funny. Uh, Fox News's Jesse Waters, who's a, you know obviously a nut, uh, and who sort of took over from Tucker Carlson after he was uh, forced from that network, is wondering if Taylor Swift is a Pentagon psyop. What? And yes, and so and uh, what is a psyop? You might ask. Uh, a psyop is a uh, is a military you know sort of asset used to control people's beliefs and perceptions. And uh, the right wing loves to think about psyops and what the psyops are up to. Mm. And uh, Jesse Waters sort of was just pontificating and talks about how he likes her music, but wondered, how did she blow up like this? How did she become so famous? Um, And apparently a couple years, four years ago, uh, some random person at some seminar somewhere floated the idea that the Pentagon could use Taylor Swift as an asset during a NATO meeting. Oh, you know, so, she's so delicate. They sing for the best. My reputation's never been worse, so 
You must like me for me. No, they don't like you. Sorry. Because they don't like your politics. So that's the thing. I mean, that's what's funny about this is that they are they're crazed because Taylor Swift is actually is is, uh, you know, like her music or not, uh, is is sort of, you know, legitimately one of the most massive pop phenomenon of, you know, of many for many, many years. I mean, she just had this massive tour. Right. Didn't I just read that the proceeds from that uh, were bigger than uh, like a lot of countries gross domestic product yeah she's like a she's like her own country at this yeah. point yeah um and used to be country actually but um we won't go into that but uh but yes so she is she is this massive um you know sort of and not only is she kind of a massive megastar but she's also quite beloved that's the thing like her like swifties and you know people who like her really like her and they they you know sort of and she's been really, you know, outspoken about things like, you know, going out and voting, LGBTQ rights, um, you know, and... And they'd love to have her on their side, but oh, they don't. they would go crazy for it, yeah. yeah. I mean, what they, what, who have they got? Scott Baio and Diamond and Silk? I mean, you know, they're, they're just bummed that they don't and have Lee Taylor. And Lee Greenwood. <laughs> and, yeah, Lee Greenwood, exactly. Um, uh, why is the USA... That song came on the radio the other day, and I, uh, I was sort of, really, I hadn't heard it in a while. I was sort of uh, bemused by how chintzy the production values are in that song. Actually, yeah. it's really, if you listen to it, it sounds like it was recorded for about three cents. It's really not a very good song. No. Um, but anyway, so yeah, Fox News and the right are just pissed because Taylor Swift happens to be someone who's a pretty like outspoken kind of blue you know advocate who also is in a you know sort of an irrepressible megastar and so th they can't wrap their head around the fact that people might actually like democratic concepts and ideas and so she therefore clearly has to be a you know pentagon psyop you know sort of like black black ops secret you know agent yeah well the get out the vote people uh i think uh, indicated that she, uh, in her touring, they felt she was responsible for like 35,000 new young voters uh, getting registered, which is great. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, she's she's putting she she's putting her fame to use yeah. in exactly the way that you know Donald one Trump would hope did. Someone would do exactly. It's no different than what J Donald Trump did. You know, he was just a washed up. TV personality from his uh, show, you know, uh, the, you know, uh, You're Fired show, whatever that was called. Oh, the Apprentice. The yeah. Apprentice, yeah. And that's how a lot of people, including Diamond and Silk, told me to my face. Exactly. That's how they came to love him. But here's the material difference there, is that he's always, he was, he was a absolute two-bit huckster with a with a janky show on you know on TV, yeah, of she course. is one of the most like one of the most signal megastars of a generation. But I'm saying to get back in the face of the people on the right about that, you know, you, you can't bitch about somebody who's on our side who actually talks about things of substance and has a reason 
uh, beyond just her own personal uh, ability to cash in on it uh, because he used his celebrity to get to the people that he has gotten to and to do the damage that he's done to this country. I don't want to hear about it. You'd love to have her on your side. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, because that is a kind of a, a classic trope is when anyone in Hollywood is sort of is like a, a mouthpiece for the left. Yeah. You know, the Republicans are like, well, you know, oh, this so celebrity, who cares what the celebrity has to say? Right. You know, just like, you know, stick to acting dummy. But as soon as any of those actors like Scott Bayo or Kelsey Grammer happen to say what they're thinking, then they literally will roll out the actual red carpet for them at every event. I got to tell you, Donald Trump, stick to the committing felonies, dumbass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and don't bring Scott Bayo and Kelsey Grammer along with you right. for the ride. So, I mean, speaking of which, um, you know, I... I loved the show Frasier back in the day. Yeah, and, but not um, this reboot. It's I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to watch the reboot because of Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. Well, it's getting panned everywhere anyway, so Health and Human Services issues. There's a final rule that is moving or removing the uh, denial of care for religious reasons from the books, and we'll talk about that as we continue with more of the GBC Happy Hour here on the GBC Radio Network, a division of the Mutual Broadcasting System. With Richie Roy, I'm Johnny Mack, and we welcome your phone calls, 760-677-0111. If you'd like to join us, you're welcome to talk about any of the issues that we brought up tonight or, you know, bring something new to the table. From GayBC.com, this is the Happy Hour with your hosts, Richie Roy and Johnny Mack, your source for conversation, current events, culture, and all things LGBTQ. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Happy Hour. And uh, I must say, uh, hosting the Happy Hour uh, has been a little easier the past couple weeks because... I've been working from home Thursdays and Fridays, which means that my cats have been have tired themselves out harassing me all day long today. So normally when I'm hosting the happy hour, the cats are at the door howling and trying to get in and scratching and making a fuss. But currently they are all asleep in the bed. So um, it makes it a little easier to get this done. But um yeah, so <laughs> welcome everyone. Uh, but uh, yeah, so to move on to a different topic, uh, and this is a good one. We've got a good topic, a, a positive topic. Health and Human Services issued a final rule today, uh, or not today, but this uh, recently, removing uh, the uh, the concept of denial of care for religious reasons from the books. What this was is this is a Trump era. Um, rule, sort of proposed rule that would allow um, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, billing staff, receptionists, and emergency responders from doing their job for a religious exemption. So, for example, you could have an EMT who came to the house of a gay person 
who was having a heart attack. And that person w- could say under this rule, I'm sorry, I actually can't uh, transport this person to the hospital because I, it's not, you know, I don't believe, you know, I don't believe in homosexuality, that kind of thing. Or a pharmacist could say, um, I refuse to give PrEP out because it is used for homosexual sex and that goes against my, you know, religious beliefs. Or what if, a, what if they were to say, I'm sorry, but um, I'm not going to give you that drug cocktail uh, because you've got AIDS and you're a homosexual and, you know, that's God's wrath on your lifestyle. No, exactly. Right. Yeah. That's another That's another good example. Yeah. I mean, if I were in that situation, that's not somebody who would continue to be breathing uh, within 30 or 40 seconds. Right. And the thing, though, is and and all of these all of these situations where. You know, these, these kind of, you know, the Supreme Court cases, things like the, you know, like the wedding, you know, the wedding photographer or whatever. And people are like, well, get another wedding photographer, get another whatever. Well, when you're talking about things like emergency responders and pharmacists, if someone lives, you know, well, re- emergency responders, for one thing, you don't get a choice. You know, you're in you're in dire need. Right. You don't get to say, oh, uh, this, you know, this EMT isn't going to give me. Uh, you know, life of saving care because he doesn't believe in, my, you know, that I'm a trans person. Uh, you don't get a choice. And similarly with pharmacists, depending on where you live, you don't have a choice. You can't just, you know, go to the other pharmacist down the road and get, you know, and, and essentially have to try to find one eventually that believes in what you believe in and or believes in your existence, so that argument, like, oh, well, it's not a big deal, just find one that agrees with you, doesn't really work for me at all. Um, and, and so the idea that this was something that was, that was on the verge of being an actual rule, like a rule that, you know, that um, would allow a, resi- a religious exemption from doing necessary you know, medical care – it's. I mean, I'm so glad that that rule has been rolled back, um, and HHS, you know, removed that possibility, um, you know, this week. So, well, that's a thankfully, good thing. yeah. I and mean, I, it's a great thing. I would expect as much again, out of this administration, but you sure as heck would not get it if the other guy won. Right, because it was this was it, the the rulemaking was was instituted during Trump's administration, right. And, you know that sort of you know what you have to understand with rulemaking is um, it's a long process, and so uh, you know it goes through through proposed rule and you know notice and comments and all this stuff, and then and then to final rulemaking. But um, you know, so that's why it, this was even kind of even still in the works. But finally, you know, at the la- you know in the final rule rulemaking you know moment. The HHS was like, yeah, we're not doing this. But it does highlight again the death by a thousand cuts, right? If you have the wrong people in power, um, there are just – it's not just the big things. It's not just the Supreme Court. It's the regulatory state. It's little rules, little tweaks here and there, and and the Republicans and the conservatives are very canny 
about knowing the levers of power and knowing how to use the regulatory state to to uh, advance their agendas. You know, we saw that you know during the Trump administration with things like Department of Interior. Uh, with you know oil and gas licenses, you know, sort of using the rulemaking processes and and using the regulatory state to open up you know national parks to fracking and stuff like that, you know. Um, so it's it's really it's not just the big things. It's not just the Supreme Court. It's not just you know the the sort of big ticket items. The the wall, you know, we, you know, these these big signal things. It's also just these tiny, tiny little rules, these tiny rules, but they can make a huge impact on your life. Um, and this is just one of them. That, that you know, if that rule, if 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 the previous administration had continued, this rule would have been ensconced, and you would have had EMTs who could literally say, "I'm not going to, you know, do CPR on this person because they're trans." That's outrageous. Yeah, it it is outrageous, and but that's that's the that's the reality of what we're talking about. And you know, and, and the thing is, this is a federal rule, but you know, uh, there's all all this kind of stuff is always rolling around in courts because, again, of the Supreme Court's extreme deference to religious rights and. Um, and exemptions from any kind of civic norms and sort of universally held beliefs and, you know, uh, thoughts if you have a, quote, you know, sincerely held religious belief. And so, you know, we'll, we'll st- this is why I suggested a long time ago amongst a group of friends that I don't know why nobody has come up with the idea, at least in the United States, to make you know, the LGBTQIA plus church and and make it a religion and protect it under those rules. There's hundreds of religions in this country that have that protection. Well what would be what would be the the tenets of that church? It doesn't matter. I mean you, you could even take um, some basis in any one of other uh, religious beliefs and just modify them to your own, you know, values. Right. But you could, getting a status as a church, then they couldn't play those games with you because no one religion is more right than another, even though they like in the United States to act as though uh, Christianity is the be-all, end-all. Oh, a- 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 absolutely. I mean, that's you're bringing up a really good point, which is, um, you know, there there's a lot of. Uh, I mean, I'll ta- volunteer to be the second coming of of our savior. <laughs> right. I mean, the thing is, you're right because one of the things is when we talk about accommodations. Um, really what the religious right is talking about is accommodations for evangelicals specifically. Like, because mo- a lot of people aren't asking for for accommodations. They actually just want to live their normal life and be subject to the normal rules. What this is, is these are extremists. And, um, and, and, and somehow when, when it, when it happens to be, um, non-Christian extremists, <laughs> uh, the, 
they aren't so solicitous of that. What they're really doing is they're using the First Amendment as cover to attempt to institute theocracy wherever possible, specifically a Christian evangelical eschatological theocracy. Mm. Uh, and they're doing a pretty darn good job of it with this current Supreme Court, by the way. Yeah. Well, it's time to nip that in the bud as well. Unfortunately, uh, this president does not seem to have the willpower to do that. Yeah, it's it's tricky. I mean, yeah. That's I know a, it's, it's tricky, a, but somebody needs to exert some fortitude and give them the fear of God that they are not the be-all, end-all in this country. Because right now they are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, it, with, with absolute impunity, for sure. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree. I mean, I think that... Like, I think nothing that that, would make me happier than to see, uh, not by my own doing, of course, but if somebody else were to put, uh, you know, Justice Thomas's head on a fence post, I'd probably pay the price of admission to go see it. I mean, for me, what it is is that the, the way it's currently structured is... We is it encourages drama queen behavior, and it always has this the the nine members of the court, you know, whatever. Um, whether on the on the right side or the wrong side, it encourages, uh, and they know this. They do this on purpose, and and they what they do is they wait for the end of each sort of uh, you know cycle. And they drop the most, you know, sort of socially explosive decisions at the end of the term. And they drop them, you know, like a like dropping the mic, you know, bam. They know what they're doing. They don't do it in the middle of the term. They wait until the end of the term and then make these, you know, these sort of bold proclamations that change, you know, that reconfigure American society. And they do and and they do this on purpose. They're they're drama queens, and you know, famously, a famous drama queen, you know, hap, you know, happened to end up being on on our on the LGBTQ folk side, but was Kennedy. Kennedy was a you know notorious hand wringer. He was wringing his hands about where to go, you know, on gay rights, and eventually kind of came out on the right side of things. But you know, you just get. It just encourages the way it's currently structured. The Supreme Court really encourages um, dramatic behavior. It, it and, and uh, you know sort of s social realignment without any kind of sense of repercussion, without any sense of you know what what might happen as a result, um, and especially. Uh, abdication of reality, because on the right, what their what their new sort of thing is is saying, well, this law, you know, as it was drafted, was not specific enough, so we're going to strike it down. And if con if Congress wants to be specific, they can be specific. But the thing is, Congress can't be specific because to get anything through Congress the way that that our Congress is currently constitu you know, constituted, um, you have to be vague and let let the gaps be filled in. Yeah. Well, Gen Zers, and I know I'm going to take some grief for this, uh, and millennials were more responsible than anybody in 2016 for things getting out of hand and are not uh, taking the 
White House from the perspective fascists. And that was a big problem. They sat on their hands instead of voting because they didn't like the candidate and didn't look at the bigger picture. And there were a lot of justices that came up for being replaced then. However, uh, the good news is, is that this year there will be 41 million Gen Z eligible voters in the United States. They can really rock this vote. Mm-hmm. And so don't sit on your hands. Understand that if you don't do something now, that as long as you're alive, you're going to be dealing with the sad outcome of all this stuff that's been going on. Yeah. And and if you have any thoughts about anything we've talked about so far, by the way, our number is 760-677-0111. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, heading into 2024, um, obviously going into a, an election season. Uh, I think by choice, we're not, we're not covering it right now on this show because it's not really in our wheelhouse and it's not ripe yet. But at some point, we'll get into it. But, um, yeah, give us a call. Let us know what you're thinking. And uh, we'll, we will uh, come back with a different story and uh, a different timbre. So... I don't generally think as France uh, or of France as being um, forward-looking and having its head pulled out of its, you know what, but maybe something's happening there. Stay with us. We'll talk about that next. This is the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack. Thanks for being along. everyone listening to this show is gay nope some are lesbians while others are bi trans intersex queer questioning two-spirit <gasps> shit let me catch my breath here me i'm the voice of god and for the record your mr announcer man is straight yep wife two dogs white picket fence and from jersey see everyone loves richie and johnny even us after all it is the Gay BC Happy Hour. Welcome back, everyone. Yep. Thank and, you for being uh, here. Now we take our conversation to Snobland. Oh my God! I know. I so famously, Johnny Mac is not a necessarily a fan of the uh, francophone world, specifically France. <laughs> well, specifically, to be fair, it's not France. It's uh, the Parisians. It's Paris. Oh, it's Paris specifically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Most of the um, outer, the outskirts of of France, totally fine, cool, nice people. But, but not not but those the, Parisians. The the dog shit lines of Paris, uh, lined streets of Paris. Yeah, uh, not so much. Right. So, uh, so we do have a fun story coming out of France. Uh, and it's it's a story that like you would just you would never hear here in the U.S. ever like probably never, <laughs> which is that France uh, has witnessed the appointment of its youngest ever prime minister and its first openly gay one, 
Gabriel Atal, 34, uh, is the new prime minister. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great uh, thing that this has happened. And I was thinking about it in the context of a lot of the young people that we spend a lot of time with, Richie, in uh, Twitter spaces and how so many of them are clamoring and so unexcited about who is, you know, running, of course, this year in the United States. But so many people are clamoring for having younger representation. And mm-hmm. I think that this is a great sign of maybe something. I mean, in a way, I feel like that's kind of what Biden did in bringing uh, Pete Buttigieg in to be part of his cabinet uh, in giving an opportunity to an openly LGBTQIA plus person, um, but also the fact that that gives them an opportunity to show on a national platform what they're capable of, even though he was successful as a mayor in uh, in Indiana. But um, it would be really great if we could think that there would be a day in our future not that far off that we would have somebody who would be much younger and who might come from our own community. Yeah, no, exactly. And that is a good point, too, to bring up um, the cabinet, because I feel like that that for whatever reason, this sort of like gerontocratic idea of the presidency is that we're that we're by and large stuck with really old presidents. I don't know what this is about, but it's a thing that seems to be happening. But the cabinet is a place where sort of things can where where an administration can re, sort of reflect what it wants the world to kind of look like and have a little bit more variation. Yeah. Hey, let's go to the telephone lines for a moment. We have a, a call at 760-677-0111 from our listener, Anthony in Sacramento. Hello. Hey, good evening. So one of the things that I wanted to mention when we're talking about the religious exemption And one of the flaws I think we have with many of our approaches on this topic is we're always fighting for the individual rights of the underdog or um, approaching things from, you know, protecting other people's rights. And I think one of the flaws with that is that we need to go down to the very basics and approach this from if the government is going to give people religious exemption because it conflicts with their religious point of view, over someone else's religious point of view, then that is not a separation of church and state. That is the state endorsing one religious belief over another. So you mentioned a moment ago about having a, you know the, the gay church, so to speak, as a way to combat it, one religion against another. I think at the very base of it, though, if we look and say, hey, this needs to be about the government separating church and state, and when they do not, that's when you have favoritism this way. We need to uh, conquer these things on a larger scale. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you bring up a really good point, because one of the things that, that why, it specifically is the free exercise clause is really the problem here, because is that the government, you know, cannot abridge the free exercise of religion. But what what this has been interpreted as is to freely exercise your religion means that you can actually opt out of um, of most kind of 
you know, civil rights protections. You can opt out of all kinds of things. And essentially, you're opting into or, or forcing people to opt into your world. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's if, you were, what if you were to say that like an, an EMT was going to uh, come to a situation where they may not agree with another person's, uh, you know, religious beliefs. Let's say you had someone who was, uh, let's say, Muslim, and they showed up and they are... Uh, they are an EMT, and they show up, and someone ha- uh, the uh, person in need has a bindi dot on, and they say, "Well, I'm sorry, I don't believe in their religion. I'm not, it contradicts mine. I'm not going to uh, give this person services." If the government gives permission for something like that, and that could be a Christian mm-hmm. saying that against a Muslim, uh, you know, a Jewish person saying that against a Christian, whatever it is, if they're granting that exemption, then that is the government giving permission and endorsing a certain religious belief. And that in itself is not separation of church and state. When the, when the state gives authority for a person to execute their religious beliefs upon another, that's not separation of church and state. And that's where we need to take this very basic, very basic need of clarifying that under the law. So that's my suggestion. So I hope you guys have a great evening. No, it, it's a great suggestion, um, and thank you for the call, because you're right, because there's there's the two poles of the religious part of the First Amendment. There's free exercise and establishment clause. Free exercise is that, you know, that the government cannot abridge the free exercise of religion, and that also the government should not establish uh, a religion. But you're right. There's, there's There becomes a point where when this kind of like, you know, lying prostrate to free exercise becomes in a way a kind of de facto establishment. I mean, I I think you make a good point. It also makes me kind of think about, I mean, I don't remember ever having preached to me, and I grew up in the Catholic Church, that uh, part of the religion, that there was any sort of a dictate to discriminate or to hurt, harm, kill, uh, do any of that kind of thing against somebody of any religion or no religion. I know that there were things that were taught to practice that that were not damaging to other people or harmful or in any way uh, separatist to other people simply because of their religion. So I would wonder, like, is is there some sort of a rule book in each religion that says, uh, you know, I mean, I guess there's people would turn to the Ten Commandments in the Christian uh, faith, but, you know, thou shall not do X, Y, or Z. I mean, if that's the case, how many people in the Republican Party that want to push these things are guilty of, you know, stuff like screwing around on their significant other? Well, but that's the thing is that because of the, the, the solicitude that, that the Supreme Court has has had towards the idea of, quote, you know, a, a uh, you know, a firmly held, you know, or honestly held religious belief, they don't ask for proof. It's you don't have to it, like basically you just say it and it's magically a thing, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, be, be, because you're right. It's like. You know, how do you prove that you have a strongly held religious belief that in X, Y, Z, or the other? Well, no, um, I'm like the religion itself should have to show that it has. I mean, 
does the Quran actually say to push the wall over onto the gaze? I don't know. I mean, I, well, I don't think I it don't does. Know. I think that that's the man-made rule uh, as consequences for the things that it uh, otherwise does try to teach. I just, I mean, all I know is that what this, what all of this really is about is, I mean, if you look back at it, I mean, really this, because you mentioned that you grew up Catholic. I mean, the Catholic Church has its own major issues. Yeah, But in this country... When you look at, at at really a lot of where this stuff deal with really the sort of the pedal you know meets the metal or whatever I don't know what analogy to use is that actually religion has a long history in this country uh, you know obviously not only of homophobia but of of really ensconcing racial divides yeah. because you had racially based churches right and so you could say that my church's practices are not in keeping with integration. And that's why after Brown versus Board, you had evangelical whites, you know, trying to dismantle public schooling and get school vouchers and create these academies where you could take your kids out of public schools and put them in white schools. Oh, my God. Can we just put these people in the ovens? I'm done with them. All of them. I'm fed up. I actually told Richie earlier today that when I looked at our rundown for all the stuff that we're dealing with in the show, which is all very important stuff. That it made me want to call the Trevor Project because it it does seem like a lot, and the reason that we're going to harp on it now through at least November this year is because we need you to be active and involved in your communities and to make sure that you're talking to people who you have in your sphere of interaction to influence. Tell these stories; they don't want you to get hurt. We don't want you to get hurt, then we got to vote that way. Stay with us. We'll continue with more on the GBC Happy Hour. Mutual, 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 this is the Mutual Broadcasting System. You know it's going to be a lively year of talk on the GBC Happy Hour. A rerun of the 2020 election shenanigans with several indictments to be resolved. At least there are these two not letting any of that MAGA BS fly. Right, fellas? Richie Roy and Johnny Mac. Hello, hello. hello. Welcome back to the show. Hello, and hello. Are- back to the show. We should have a, We should have a little jingle made. We should, yes, yeah. yeah I, f- I feel like we, yeah, we can uh, get some new, some new messaging, uh, some new imaging for the. Uh, we should get some kids to the- sing it, though. That would be great. Yeah. Like, I'd love to a have jingle. like a chorus yeah. of like elementary or junior high school or you know middle school age kids sing it, so it sounds nice and young, kind of like that la 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 in in the song um, "Sing" by Karen Carpenter. Oh, yeah. You remember that, where there's that bridge with that? And I think it would be great because then maybe you and I could become targets of Ron DeSantis. I was just about to say, yeah, I felt like then we'd be (laughs) considered groomers, right? Of course. (laughs) Uh, You know, all all of those... uh, all of those school-aged uh, kids listening in to the GBC Happy Hour for political uh, insight. Right, yeah. Um, speaking of politics, uh, 
we're heading to a different state now. We're not in Florida anymore, Toto. We're in the not-so-great state of Ohio. Ohio. Yeah. So Ohio's legislature passed a bill um, banning gender-affirming care for youth and banning trans females from being on scholastic sports teams. Its governor, who I believe is actually a Republican, vetoed Mike DeWine. Mike DeWine vetoed the bill. Yep. Um, because you know, I think even as a you know a sort of Republican normal person was like, this is really like sort of meddling in in the affairs of families. Yeah. You know, banning gender affirming care. Doctors and families don't know how best to deal with their family and their kids. Well, and they have some other considerations too, Richie, up there, Um, because and it is a very mixed political state in the state of Ohio, um, but they have a lot of major employers in the United States that are based there or have major operations there. They also have one of the um, world-class medical institutions there, the um, Cleveland Clinic. And I'm sure I'm sure that these things all play a factor when you're thinking about it as the governor. Yep. But yeah, so so the governor vetoed this. And uh, recently, the House of Representatives voted to override the veto. And it looks like the state Senate is expected to do so, too, later this month. And so Ohio is heading in the wrong direction. Pretty, pretty intensely. And so, you know, again, this goes to the drumbeat of what we talk about on this show pretty often, which is local stuff matters. You know, whatever state you're in, um, you know, your state legislature can do things to really make life better or worse for you. Um, And, you know, the governor, again, a Republican who was trying to, you know, sort of moderate these extremist tendencies is being overridden because of the makeup of the legislature in the state. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I really am sad that uh, we lost an opportunity. If, if they were going to elect a Republican governor in 2016, or not governor, but president, um, the person I thought was actually going to end up on the ticket at that time was somebody who also, back in his congressional days, was not a real friend of the LGBTQ community, um, and uh, but has or did become very much more moderate in the days of his being governor of the state of Ohio, which he was at the time that they held the little debutante ball in Cleveland for Donald Trump in 2016. Uh, and um, that was... Uh, uh, Oh, help me here. I'm I'm just spacing out on uh, the governor who was in the state at that time. He actually was so upset with Trump, he didn't even come to the Republican National Convention when it was in his state that year. Uh, it'll come back to me in a moment. But you know what? Um, first, on the telephone, uh, we have somebody who wants to go back and uh, talk with us a little bit about uh, what we were talking about in France with their uh, uh, first gay prime minister, the uh, young man who is in that office now. And so let's go to Pennsylvania and say uh, hello this evening to 
Warren. Warren, welcome to the GBC Happy Hour. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So I like I've been doing a little bit of research. Um, I know Richie a little bit, but he knows I do like research into things a lot. And I've seen that like he's made some big moves, like banning abayas in certain places, like in um, certain schools, even from like a young age. And he actually got caught having like relations with some of um, the president's like political with the president's political advisor, and that's how he got outed as gay. So what do we think about, like, his opinion seems to be more conservative. And so how do we feel, like, even though he is gay, which tends to be associated with being more liberal, he seems to be more conservative. Well, Macron is like a the, conservative politician, but yeah. Yeah. And and, and I think th- the thing is, I, you know, you bring up a really interesting point, I think, which is that um, when, you, when we start talking about international politics, things start to get also a little bit haywire because, um, you know, in France, for instance, um, there is, you know, there's, there, there, are, there are people, um, you know, in France who are politically or economically way far to the left of any, I mean, most, most things in Europe are going to be far to the left economically to what we're doing in the States. Um, you know, because they're, they're, by and large, they're sort of ensconced in kind of uh, generally socialistic thinking, um, and you know things like you know universal health care and and uh, you know and protection for workers' rights and stuff like that. But you have a strong strain, especially in certain countries like France. Um, France does not have very much of a strong protection for religious expression. And so there is a lot of stuff that has to do with especially, uh, you know, sort of Muslim uh, expressions of religious, uh, you know, freedom for, you know, for instance, things like, you know, wearing, uh, you know, wearing coverings or whatever that 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 people who might be kind of left of the U.S. on uh, on economic things are far to the right or far in, in sort of another universe uh, in terms of things like religious expression for specifically Muslim folk. So I, I hear what you're saying, but I think it's like it's hard for us from the U.S. perspective to kind of map uh, to map those the kind of the left right divide in Europe onto our political climate sometimes. Yeah. Thank you for I, making your you point. Were, yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Did you want to say anything else? Well, I was going to talk about um, how we feel about, like, gay representation in that sort of way. And, like, how we talk about, even necessarily, but, like, with a lot of marg- more marginalized communities, how one seems to be representative to the entire group. So that's another good point. You know, and and gay represent so that's a okay, so you bring up an interesting point, which is gay representation. What happens when gay representation isn't what we want it to be? And I and the person that comes to mind is someone like Peter Thiel. Yeah. Peter Thiel was instrumental in getting Trump into power. He's he's an extremely wealthy and extremely powerful person who happens to also be gay. What does it mean when gay representation or not maybe not representation, but gay reality is is confrontational to and actually anathema to sort of gay interests. I mean, that is a really interesting question. 
Um, what do we do with that? You know, sort of as a community to, to, to think like, Oh, well, you know, there are people who are sort of extremely powerful gay people who are working very strenuously against our own interests. And I don't know what to say. I mean, I don't know what to think about that. It's just, it's a reality. I feel like it's been more of a shift like recently. Like I feel like um, back around like Marsha P. Johnson times, you wouldn't necessarily see, because I feel like it was a more like uniting time for the LGBTQ community. And I feel like now, especially, you find these people wanting to kind of divulge themselves from it, but also necessarily like there being so many, like instead of focusing on it being the LGBTQ community, a lot of people like focus on, like you'll see more about people not believing bi exists, right? Or people like disowning certain parts of the community. And they're, and what the they're doing is they're buying into because you're right. And what they're doing, they're buying into actually the wedge issue idea. And specifically, where this happens is there's what's called the LGB movement, LGB without the T. And what they're doing is they're buying into the anti-trans sort of vibe uh, that the right is pushing out there as a wedge issue. And and there are some people in the in the gay community who buy that and are just like we're 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 not the, we're not on board with 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 trans and you know, you know with trans folks. We had some of that. I remember uh, when uh, I was in the Capitol in the late '90s and early 2000s, and uh, would have conversations with Barney Frank, who was, of course, Congress member from up in Massachusetts, and an openly gay one at that. Um, who, when we talked with him about why he was not pushing harder on uh, the employment non-discrimination laws uh, and the hate, uh, you know, the hate crime laws why trans were not being uh, more represented or more represented in that fight. And he talked about the fact that, well, we need to do this in stages. And of course, that did not sit well with a lot of people in the LGBTQ uh, rights movement at that time, because, you know, it's like we can't, a lot of people believe, you know, we can't leave people behind. But when you have a federal leader, somebody who's elected to the highest offices of the land and they're in our community and then they're not representing them and not fighting that fight to begin with, you know, it it sucks. It really, you know, that stunk too. But there was an evolution and things have changed somewhat. But, you know, I think these fights are going to go on still for some time now. I mean, these fights are going to go on for, I think, infinitely because I think at the end of the day, you know, I mean, correct me if you disagree, but, um, you know, I think that uh, that the federal government is really about incremental moves. It's not it's it's extremely stodgy. Yeah. The way it's structured, it really does not does not make big, bold moves possible, you know, because of the separation of powers, because of the 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 Senate's, you know, extremely anti-democratic nature um, if I if the, I could, the, I would I would say that rights, civil rights, human rights in the United States are achieved by traveling on the slow boat to China. Well, right. Or or I mean, they you know, a lot of civil rights stuff happened in the courts. Um, and but 
then took decades and decades to actually implement. You know, I mean, Brown, again, Brown versus Board of Education uh, was a, you know, bombshell civil rights decision. It took decades of rancor and 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 even it's still not there we're still not there on brown versus board and that was from that you know a thousand years ago um thanks what (laughs) i said uh from back around the 60s right was that right i I think it was the 60s 54 yeah the 60s yeah but i mean you know i i meant sort of you know sort of you know the uh metaphorical thousand years ago i mean yeah, but I know. Uh, what I meant a was, year after I was born. Thanks, Richie. Okay, Methuselah. But um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, but what I'm saying is that there is. I think that there's an, a huge appetite amongst a lot of people on, especially you know, sort of younger people on the left who really want non-incremental change. Yeah, they want change. And unfortunately, we all did. They, yeah, and we all do. Yeah. But the thing is, that that's not the way that our federal government is structured. It's actually like, it's not. That's not how it's designed. And so, if if what you want is is radical change, you have to seek it in places where you can actually do it. Again, locally, whatever. But if you're thinking about how the federal government works, you have to be. You have to make your bed with incremental change, or you know, have a, a much more radical, you know agenda of you know con- you know constitutional conventions and reconfi- reconfiguring what the federal government looks like but as it currently exists um you know it is incrementalist at best yeah thank you warren we appreciate your call yeah come on back anytime me. yeah you're welcome And uh, yeah, no, that and that was that was a great call. I mean, I felt like it surfaced a lot of really interesting questions. Um, For sure. And you know, again, uh, it, it was it it is interesting when someone you know in in France, you know, the the youngest, uh, you know, and first openly gay prime minister uh, might also you know be someone who is not just sort of an unalloyed you know beacon of hope. You know, it's it's exciting because they're young and they're gay, but maybe they kind of are also someone who were like, Ooh, a little yikes about some of their policies. You know, it's, it, it's a good, it's a good point to bring up. You know, it's going to be an interesting year this year to watch, not just what's happening in the United States, but in countries all around the globe, because I think that there's more than around 50 countries that are going to have, uh, referendums this year on their leadership. And, oh, wow. Yeah, and that is not a typical situation. And the fact that, I mean, and it's a lot of countries that can have some real impact, you know, um, uh, from, you know, uh, Hong Kong to uh, the United States to India and Uh, Pakistan, I think, and several others. Anyway, there's like 50 countries. And when you think about all the stuff that's going on globally on an economic front as well, uh, and how, you know, things are changing, and there's so many countries that have gone to fascistic rule that we never would have imagined that happening in. This is, these, these issues are being faced by our brothers and sisters all over the planet. 
and uh, hopefully we have decent out- outcomes this year for a lot of places, not just here in the U.S., but you never know. And if you don't get involved, uh, well, you might regret it for the rest of your years. Stay with us. With Richie Roy, I'm Johnny Mack. This is the GBC Happy Hour. It's not always laughter and games on the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mack, but when it is, you'll know when it's time to cut them off. Now, back to the beer pong. Uh, I mean show. Boys. Thank you, Howard. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for that. So we're gonna we're gonna pivot big time uh, to a totally different topic, uh, a little fun one. And um, I think the rest of this show is gonna have a little bit of a lighter note because yes. we went heavy in the beginning, but uh, we are gonna switch to some some lighter fare. We're gonna talk about some uh, some creative stuff, and then we're gonna talk about recommendations and demerits, and then we're gonna do mixology corner. So uh, we're gonna end on a light note here. And um, the the first thing we're gonna talk about is uh, entertainment. So RuPaul, made history at the annual creative arts emmy awards um i have to say when i when i read this story um Mm -hmm. i was like you know why is it that all the queer stuff gets pushed off to the creative arts emmy awards rather than in the regular show well it's because we're creative well of course we're more creative but I mean, that's the whole point of television, and it seems to me that it's kind of a way to bury the headline uh, and have all the other mainstream stuff up there when we know that there's a lot of things that have LGBTQ themes to them uh, on various forms of television now, which includes all the streaming services, that um, is pretty damn good. And if if people don't get to watch and see those highlights on TV, I mean, um, GLAD certainly made a huge splash about a lot of these because many of these are past GLAD Media Award winners. But, but yeah, I I thought it was uh, interesting uh, that RuPaul ended up with, uh, has ended up with so much gold on her her shelf. Well, I will say, though, to to your point, though, about you know, these clips not being seen. I hear your point, but at the end of the day, you know what really vanishingly matters is the Emmys, the Oscars, these award shows. They used to have a lot of cultural cachet. They used to right. really matter. Yeah. That, you know, because especially when everything was net, when everything was network TV and and media there was no streaming it was all movies in the theater and it was all tv on tv these shows these award shows mattered big time they don't matter so much anymore they yeah. really don't no one watches them they're not important what matters more is when you turn on your netflix or your amazon prime or whatever what shows is it putting up there right on your front screen yeah. and by and large 
the the I think that they I think that the streaming services are more likely to surface LGBTQ content than anywhere else ever has. Oh, they absolutely do. And they have made a bundle from doing it, which, congratulations, I yeah. understand. I mean, they're in business to make money, and, and but the success of the content that has come out since, uh, you know, really um, offering a lot of different LGBTQ stuff. Of course, there's a ton of junk on there, too, that is. And, and I could use a heck of a lot less of that on Amazon Prime. Uh, but it's, it's nice to see that we get some acknowledgement. But in terms of those award shows, you know, I really have, have not paid much attention since Susan Lucci finally won her Daytime Emmy Award. And, <laughs> and I was like, okay, now I can turn this damn thing off for forever. <laughs> Right. No, exactly. Exactly. Finally, finally. But um, no, I mean, I, it's it's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's cool that, you know, RuPaul, you know, is like the most like, you know, decorated series host in Emmy history. And, you know, RuPaul Strike Race has won, you know, this award for eight years in a row. It's a big deal. You know, and, and the thing is, like, the Emmys matter to people who care about the Emmys and yeah. they matter to people in the industry. And like, that is important. You know, visibility is always important, but at the end of the day, when we're talking about getting butts in the seats and at this point, you know, butts in the seats does not mean in a theater. It does not mean it means, you know, on your laptop, it means on your iPad, it means, you know, uh, on your streaming service. Right. Um, I just think that, I think that that's not where the discussion is anymore. I mean, it's just, you know, the, and the amount of kind of like, you know, I was thinking recently, everyone is talking about, you know, things like, and it's even interesting how, how sort of word spreads, like things like salt burn. Everyone's talking about salt burn, um, which I think is on, I think it's on Netflix yeah. at this point, but, um, you know, things spread by word of mouth. They spread by social media. It's not like, the the sort of the standard distribution net, network is totally dead, um, and you know, and the idea that you're going to go into a movie theater and watch a trailer and be like, oh, I'm going to go to the movie theater six months from now and watch this movie in this theater, laughable. No one's doing that. Yeah, some of the uh, successful uh, shows that were honored at the Creative Arts Emmy Awards. Um, uh, for the primetime shows were uh, The Last of Us, The White Lotus, Queer Eye, We're Here, Only Murders in the Building, and uh, and in addition to RuPaul, uh, Elton John was uh, honored as well. Uh, and this happened uh, uh, for the period of June 1st of last year, or no, of 2022 through May 31st of this year. So yeah, um, I mean, congratulations and, and, yeah, to everybody I mean, who won, and uh, and it's just nice to see our stories and uh, the content that appeals to us and that reflects our lives, uh, you know, being honored. Absolutely. Coming up, recommendations, and I actually have something unique, not to recommend and not to knock down either, but to oh. ask. I want to ask our listeners about something and find out if we've got anybody who has tried a certain kind of product 
and get, get their firsthand opinions about it. So stay tuned. We'll be continuing in just a moment with the GBC Happy Hour on the GBC Radio Network. Phone calls are welcome. 760-677-0111. The GBC Radio Network presents the weekly public service. The GBC Happy Hour Seal of Approval. Does it fly or does it die? Products, services, and customer service that will turn you on or turn you off. Does the cup runneth over or has the well gone dry? Richie and Johnny, take it away. Hello, welcome back to the Happy Hour, everyone. Um, yes, this is one of my favorite segments of the show. <laughs> Uh, because uh, we get to talk about things we love and things we don't love so much. So uh, I'm excited, though. You you teased something going into the segment. So, Johnny, what I, are you, you going to um, tell us about? Uh, well, here's the thing. So it's not one of those things I really like to talk about with other people. Um, and it's another reason I don't really necessarily like to smile a lot in photographs. Um mm-hmm. I want to ask for experience of other people today as opposed to telling y'all what I think you should consume. Uh, As a kid, I was medicated with a ton of penicillin, uh, eventually having to have my tonsils removed because not, uh, you know, remove it, not before the drugs had uh, caused discoloration of my teeth. And uh, at different stages of my life, I have tried different products to overcome this, but stop shy of doing veneers or something that's much more painful and permanent. Um, I've had enough dental malpractice to last me my life uh, and several others. Uh, When I lived in New York City, I had a dentist who I would come to find out later um, not only fucked up my right and my left jaw, uh, on the upper side, but um, also uh, apparently at some point in the past had been or had had his dental uh, medical license removed by the state of New York, but gave it back. Um, he had raped a patient of his in in the dental chair. Oh, my God. And I found that in a New York Times story uh, after I had started having my problems and decided to do a little more investigation of, of his background. But um, anyway, uh, I have seen, and I'm sure that many of you have, the advertisements on social media channels professing these teeth whitening miracle products that supposedly have a purple element that causes a bright white sheen to the teeth by using this certain kind of toothpaste product. And in the spots, the TV spots or the online commercials, they show things even like a yellow uh, bell pepper having purple paint put on it. Like apparently there's this thing, you know, with purple versus any other color that supposedly whitewashes it, which seems to me to be quite a stretch. Um, 
and I have not been able to find anything that really dissuades anybody from doing this. Uh, a lot of times, a lot of products I have uh, thought, well, this is too good to be true. And in fact, it was. If I decided to take the leap and, and try something, not with regards to my teeth, but because we are talking about my teeth, I don't want to do something that is going to further harm or, or you know, screw up uh you know, my mouth, the last thing I want to do is, you know, have somebody have the last laugh and, you know, use this stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, I open my mouth and my teeth are purple, <laughs> purple. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm wondering if anybody has um, seen this. Uh, like I say, I'm usually a, a pretty strong believer in the uh, if it's too good to be true, it is uh, too good to be true. And admittedly, uh, there are other things, uh, like I said, that I've bought and have done research on that turned out uh, to be the latest from a snake oil salesman. So if anybody knows what I'm talking about and has ever used one of these products as part of a teeth whitening solution, um, please let me know. Uh, you can write to well, me, john at uh, GBC Happy Hour. Dot com or john at gbc.com and I'd be uh, very uh, appreciative of your real life uh, experience with some of those products if anybody has tried them you're you're giving me uh, you're giving me vibes of I don't know if you remember reading this story a few years ago about the the guy who got sn snookered into uh taking colloidal silver for a number of years. Do you see this guy? No. Okay. So this is a thing, and it actually kind of is one of these kind of gimmicky things on the, actually, I think advertising a lot of right-wing kind of places, kind of weird spots, but um, colloidal silver as a kind of health supplement. And this guy took it for a number of years, and he's kind of a big burly guy. And if you look him up, the silver Im implanted basically in his whole body, he looks like Papa Smurf. He's blue. <laughs> He's blue because the silver actually over time, you know, sort of all kind of settled into his skin. And he's just he's bright blue. He's literally shiny blue person. Um, and uh, I don't know. I just feel like. If if it's like a if it's a purple colored uh, you know dentifrice, um, you as soon as you eat something, it, it's gonna it's gonna come off. I, I I can't imagine that it's it's actually can, can deposit a sort because I I know obviously like there's like the 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 thing that comes to mind is for for gray hair there's purple shampoo because. The purple combats the blonde, like sort of the brassy tones that can that can come up in in gray hair. But um, the idea that you can deposit into teeth a purple to combat against the yellow, I just don't imagine that like that that can be good because either it's just going to sit on the top of the tooth, or if it can actually get into the enamel of the tooth, then that's bad. Yeah, and at some point it dissipates, of course. Right, right, Because right, right. they want you to buy more of it. But that's just the thing. Like, I have seen these ads from 
different companies um, on Instagram, on Facebook, on uh, possibly even on Twitter or X um, that must have come up in, in my feeds like, you know, 10 plus times a week. Mm. And uh, and I just, you know, it sucks enough that political advertising does not have to go through the same rig- rigorous standards as any other sort of product advertising uh, that has to meet uh, various uh, requirements from the Federal Trade Commission in the United States. But these things certainly should have to. And, uh, and it bugs me that um, especially groups like Facebook, you know, with Instagram and Facebook or Meta, um, that they don't have to verify the authenticity of people advertising products on their platform, that they should have some sort of liability for false advertising. Oh, yeah. But there's, I mean, the, but the thing is because of, of, and I forget the name of the thing, that basically there's this, this, this huge loophole that, that, you know, websites do not really have who host a platform, do not, they have no liability really for almost anything. That's bunk. <laughs> that uh, is yeah. pure bunk. So what are you uh, recommending today? So what I'm recommending today, I was thinking about it, and I recently have I I kind of uh, it's something that is a longstanding thing for me, but I'd kind of let it lapse, and in the new year I kind of brought it back, which is build yourself a pickle library. A pickle library. Yes, a pickle library. Like so, dill and sweet and. No, 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 no sweet, no bread and butter, none of that. Throw that all away. In 2024, take the bread and butter pickles, gently toss them into your trash, and don't buy them again. No, I'm talking about real pickles, good pickles. Um, But the thing is, there are so many great pickles out there in the world. Um, And I just recently uh, bought, you know, so there's like obviously kosher dill is the starter, right? You know, a kosher dill spear is an amazing pickle. And I love Grillo's makes a good one. But Clausen, if you know, if you're in the supermarket, Clausen, a Clausen kosher dill spear is an excellent starter pickle. But from there, you move on, there's pickled carrots, pickled radishes, pickled okra. I all like kinds pickled of okra a lot. Yeah. There's amazing and and spicy. I love spicy. So like mm-hmm. spicy pickled okra is incredible. Yep. Uh, uh, dilly beans, like green beans that are that are pickled, are are stunning. And and then there's also so and so developing like a just having a sort of library, like I said, of pickles is so fun because they're good to snack on. You can cut them up and throw them into a salad. You can uh, throw them into a Bloody Mary, <laughs> um, but they're also it, also then you can move on to some, some sort of ed, more advanced pickles. Uh, the one of my favorite pickled things is actually a Japanese product. Um, it's a pickled umeboshi plum, um, and they're these little tiny plums. They're about the size of a cherry, 
and they are intensely I think that what they do is I think that they wrap them in a shisa leaf in salt and they be, they basically like let them pickle in salt. And so they're these these pick sort of pickly puckery intensely salty little bombs of flavor. I I love them. Um and then you can kind of move on, you know, from there to uh all kinds of pickled, you know, pickled things. You can start pickling things yourself. Pickling is very easy to do. Probably one of the easiest like home projects to do, you know, white vinegar, you know, uh, water, salt, <laughs> you know, some spices if you want to, you know, if you want to throw in some coriander, some fennel, whatever, some dill. But um so I'm going to recommend starting a pickle library and kind of just getting delving into pickles. Um, they're they're just so fun and so fantastic. Um, so I'm going to go for pickles. Uh, I know that's sort of a weird thing to say as a as a recommendation, but I think that you know people sort of think that pickles start and end with pickled cucumbers, and that is that is the just the beginning of the of the fun. Hmm. Pickled beets, pickled beets, incredible. I'm betting that that bird I saw that uh, Instagram thing that picked up a bird picks up a dildo, <laughs> a dildo in the street, <laughs> and carries it to the yard. Um, that it might have been pickled, <laughs> pickled. Oh my god, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> oh. I tell you. Uh, but yeah, so so pickles, and, and then actually kind of to go in, in the pickled realm a little bit further, there's another thing I was thinking about that I will throw out there as sort of a bonus thing, which is yuzu kosho. I, have I talked about yuzu kosho before on the show, John? I don't think so. Okay. So it's a Japanese condiment, um, and it is kind of a pickly, fermenty thing. It's basically... Um, Yuzu, which is a Japanese citrus, and chili and salt that is sort of fermented and is a condiment. It's sort of a spreadable green paste. And it is funky and citric and salty and spicy. It hits all and, and cooling. It's a really interesting uh, condiment. And, you know, you can use it. Uh, to dress up almost anything, um, you know, I, you know, you can throw a little bit on, you know, uh, throw it on the side of, of, a, of a chick, you know, just a, a grilled chicken breast and just mm -hmm. dip it in that. Um, you know, you can throw it on rice, just anything, anything where you need heat, salt, citrus, and funk anywhere you need that it's there. And it is incredibly delicious. And, um, you know, it's great with things like, uh, you know, like a tuna, like in a tuna salad, you could throw that in there Ew. or with a tuna steak, with a tuna steak, Ew. like a seared tuna, you could put yuzu kosho on that. It's just, it's just, it's a really, really versatile condiment, um, that is not super like, it's not, you know, people like, you know, shiracha is sort of like everyone does shiracha, right? Yeah. It's like. But Yuzu Kosho is uh, something to look into. Okay. Well, I'll look into it, but not with the tuna. <laughs> Stay with us. 
More of the GBC Happy Hour to come on this Thursday. You can join us live if you're listening to our podcast. We love you too, but you can always listen live between 8 and 10 p.m. Eastern, 5 to 7 p.m. Pacific time on Thursday evenings at gbc.com or gbchappyhour.com. Uh, and always, 24-7, uh, be able to hear our shows after they've been loaded following the live broadcast uh, on your favorite podcast portal platform. So join us that way as well. If you want to join us on the phone, 760-677-0111. And Richie is in the Mixology 101 segment next. Homo Mixologist Richie Roy and his Ice Cube handler Johnny Mac present the latest lessons from the Gay BC Happy Hour School of Mixology. As they say at Gay BC, bottoms up. Clink, clink. Yes, yes. Welcome, welcome. Uh, well, By the mixology. way, over the, over the break, I um, did happen to find that uh, goop, the purple mm-hmm. goop on Amazon and out of 282 people who have uh, rated it it has four and a half stars I don't know oh, I almost think like I should try it just so that we can trash it if, if it's total BS <laughs> I mean it's only 13 and a half bucks for one thing of it yeah then you're probably on some subscription where you have to like try to get out of it again uh, probably yeah you're right I don't know. Okay, don't let's know. drink up. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was thinking about, so I was thinking about this week, what to do for the mixology corner, and I was thinking my mind kind of went to tea. I know I go to tea sometimes, but um, I found a recipe that sounds really delicious. And um, it has to do with tea. And so tea also will factor into our non-alcoholic drink of the week. But uh, it is an Earl Grey martini. Get it? Martini. Mm. M-A-R-T-E-A-N-I. Oh, nice. And what this involves is to do an Earl Grey infused gin, which I think is a fun idea. And so what you do is you actually take Earl Grey tea leaves you know, a quarter cup of them, put them into a bottle of gin, you know, like let's say Tanqueray or Hendrix or whatever you want, um, you know, shake them in there, let it sit in there for, you know, think about how long it takes to cold brew something. So uh, let's say six to eight hours, strain it out. And then what you have is essentially a tea a, a, an Earl Grey tea that's been infused into gin. Okay. So you get those bergamot notes, the lavender notes, all that fun stuff from the from the Earl Grey, and then you, uh, you what you do with that? You take the gin, you do some lemon juice, some simple syrup, and an egg white. You throw it in a shaker, without ice, and shake it vigorously. You add the ice and shake it again so it's chilled. And then you strain it into a coupe glass. This sounds great. A toupee to me. glass? A coupe glass. A coupe. Okay. <laughs> Not a toupee glass, yes. Um, 
But what I love about this is, and and I, I I think you could do this with a lot of different things. I like the idea of the tea infused gin. You could do a tea infused vodka. Actually, it could be quite tasty. Um, but um, you know, I just think Earl Grey is has such a great flavor to it um, that that bringing that into the drink, you know, sort of drink sphere seems really kind of great. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm going at for the alcoholic drink um, this week. And for the non-alcoholic drink, uh, I will sort of dive a little deeper into tea. Because I do think that, you know, obviously since it's the winter, it's cold. And we're thinking about warm beverages. And um, tea is a fantastic warm beverage. Uh a lot. One of the things that that's important to think about with tea, generally, is making it correctly. So, let's let's just talk about first. You know, there's black tea, green tea, and white tea generally, and then herbal tea. Uh, black tea, you know, you want to get it. I think to around what is it? Is it like one ninety Fahrenheit, something like that? Um, you know, you want it. You want it to be pretty hot. Uh, green tea, you want it to be quite a bit cooler. If you if you boil your water and make green tea, you're oversteeping it. It's going to be bitter and gross. But for black tea, you know you want to get you know get your water boiling. Um, you want to generally have loose leaf tea if possible. Uh, get plenty of tea in in there in there and uh, steep it for you know three to five minutes uh, and then. And then pull that tea out. Um, I do recommend, and this is me being provincial because this happens to be from upstate New York, but there's a wonderful tea purveyor called Harney and Sons. Um, They make amazing teas. Uh, All kinds of teas. Black, herbal, rooibos, green, white, you name it. But um, they have a couple really good Earl Greys. And so when I was thinking about this Earl Greys uh, infused martini, I immediately, my mind turned to Harney and Sons. So I would say, you know, along with the pickle library, to go with the non-alcoholic thing, think about teas this year. Think about rooibos. Um, rooibos is the South African bush or herb that um, makes a really tasty herbal tea that has kind of like roasty notes to it. Um, uh, Harney and Sons has one called uh, Autumn Harvest that is a rooibos-based tea that is incredibly delicious. Um, So think about about that. Uh, Think about uh, different black teas. You know, um, experiment with Irish breakfast versus English breakfast versus Earl Grey. Um, you know, I I happen to like black teas with milk, and I know some people are very against that. But um, I like a I like an English breakfast tea with milk in it, and even an Earl Grey with milk in it. Um, so, so uh, Johnny, are you a tea person? Do you like hot tea? Um, a little bit. Usually, only when I'm sick. When yeah. I'm sick, I live on it. Um, but, uh, I am, as you know, I am a huge iced tea lover. And so, um, all sorts of teas, which get hot brewed here, but then quickly beat the ice. And I, 
love them, uh, all different kinds of flavors. Uh, the more diverse, the better. Um, I just love drinking tea. That uh, I would rather drink tea than anything else, uh, iced tea. Um, but it's iced tea and water for me. I, I don't drink an all. I drink a little bit of alcohol from time to time, but usually only on special occasions, like when my friends from uh, spaces or you know from the show uh, come to visit Palm Springs. <laughs> yeah, you know, you just you just made me think about something that I haven't thought about in many many years, which is growing up. My best friend, his name was Patrick Netterson. His family, they made uh, iced tea. It was iced peppermint tea that was very sweetened. It was a very sweet iced peppermint tea. And it was so delicious. And I had not thought about that tea in like decades and decades, but I might even try to do that because normally I do unsweetened tea. Like I'm not a sweetened tea person. I don't do sweet tea, not into it. But the sweetened peppermint tea was so amazing growing up. And I would love to try it again now and see if I still like that or if that's not really like if that was just a thing growing up. But I think I might try that because I know that there is that kind of like tradition sort of, you know, sort of North African tradition of like sweetened uh, mint teas. Yeah. And I I think that trying that in a, I mean, trying in sort of that uh, iced sweetened mint tea i might try that out soon i remember the actually. first time that i went to atlanta and was hanging out with friends who lived there and had sweet tea like you know is common in the south mm-hmm. um and i loved it back then but i i don't it to me now it would be like pouring um maple syrup down my throat <laughs> um i just can't handle tea that's really sweet i love flavorful tea but n- all unsweetened. And yeah. generally, um, most of them, you know, uh, not black tea. I mean, I drink black tea too, but um, but I I do like herbal teas. I love an herbal tea. Although, although can I just can I just say, and I I would love if people would call in uh, either. Well, I guess we're getting to the end of the show, but maybe next week. Um, I'm not. I'm I'm actually quite anti-chamomile tea i think it tastes uh gross i think it has some uh, it it, there's something about it that i just don't like that taste at all my significant other is an excellent purveyor of uh teas and you know gets them from god knows where but uh i always love the flavor selections that he gets i tend to like tart things and you Mm -hmm. know um fruit flavors uh or you know flower you know flavors that that just uh, have some really great interesting taste to them. Yeah, I mean hibiscus is great for yeah. that. So tart, Absolutely. so so good. Yeah, but yeah, chamomile on me, we're not good friends. I love licorice tea, but I can't have it. Why? I can't have it. Why is Do that? You know about this? No. It it raises your blood pressure. Oh, Li- licorice okay. tea. You actually like. Like it, 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 like demonstrably so. Huh. And I have high blood pressure, so I can't have licorice tea, even though I love the taste of it. Hmm. Well, I'm not much of a fan of black licorice, so it it doesn't hurt me to miss out on that. But you know, and I think that's one of those things where I had too much of it as a kid. <laughs> right. Know? So 
now it's just like, oh, that flavor again. Kind of like uh, those malted milk balls. I got sick on them one day at a movie. <laughs> friend of mine so and I, I went through a whole box and, you know, one setting. And, and after that, I never had them again. Right. Yeah. So I think we're coming to the close of the show. Um, we are. But uh, thank you so thank much. You. Yeah. <laughs> It's been a great week, and we'll uh, look forward to seeing you again next Thursday. Uh, Be sure to let your friends know about the show, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you soon. You can write to us. uh, Our website, uh, gbc.com, you'll find our email addresses there as well. Thanks for being here.